Welcome to this Euractive Giga Europe digital debate supported by Giga Europe. I'm Brian McGuire. Our topic today is the year of skills. Is a digitized Europe learning what it takes to compete globally? And to leverage human potential and ensure that users in Europe fully benefit from evolving digital solutions, the EU has paired Europe's digital transition with the provision of digital skills. Under the framework of the 2030 digital agenda, the EU has set the target of at least 80% of all adults having basic digital skills. The EU skills agenda sets objectives for the 2023 year of skills around investments in lifelong learning and ensuring Europe's competitiveness. This includes recognizing disparities in access to educational tools and devices. And to help achieve these objectives, several communications companies have launched initiatives to distribute devices and other learning aids for students and teachers, as well as providing secure, high-quality connectivity, which is especially vital in remote and rural areas. Today's challenge is that only 37% of adults take part in training opportunities on a regular basis, and over 75% of companies in the EU report facing challenges related to finding staff with appropriate skills. Joining us today to discuss these issues, Stefan Olsen is a Deputy Director General of DG Employment at the European Commission, uh, Jorge Dimitrov, uh, Head of Unit Digital Education, DG EAC, uh, uh, European Commission, uh, Sylvie Brunet, Member of the European Parliament and also the Employment Committee there, Anders Lindholm, uh, Councillor for Education Affairs, the Permanent Representation of Sweden uh, to the e EU, Rafael Akira, uh, Vice President of the Lifelong Learning Platform and European Civil Society for Education, and Thomas Mulder, uh, Executive Director of HR, Internal Comms and Workplace, at Vodafone Zigo. Great to have you all with us uh, today. Thanks very much for taking the, the time. I'm going to ask our panelists just for a 60-second intro, their key message uh, for today. And uh, after that, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Slido and how you can contribute questions throughout the session as well. So 60 seconds, more or less, uh, for each of you just to kick off. Uh, Stefan, can I ask you to go first? Sure, and uh, many thanks to to your active and and Giga Europe for organizing this uh, this uh, event. Um, clearly, skills competitive com competitiveness and net zero policies um, form a, a, a triangle um, of our EU priorities. Um, we've seen. I mean, I, I think it was a really a watershed moment when. Um, skills was uh, identified as one of the four pillars of the green deal industrial plan uh, we've been speaking about skills a long time but but making it a a, a, a major element of uh, an industrial policy document is new to me and i think it shows the importance of the issue um, and um, if we look Look at the green side, we, we see that uh, at least 40% of all jobs could be affected by the green transition. Um, I'm sure we know that it's about changing the whole society, uh, and, and so it will be even bigger than that. And uh, looking then both at digital and, and, and green, it, this requires a, a total change of mindset, and I think that's what the European Year of Skills is about. Um, that's why it was proposed by, by our president and uh, why uh, the, the Swedish presidency and the European Parliament have provisionally agreed to the objectives of the year very recently. Um, and that's why uh, we're very happy that you have uh, uh, set up this event so we can look at this from uh, different perspectives. Thanks a lot, Brian. Stefan, thank you so much. Jorgi, over to you. 60 seconds. 
You on mute? No, this this give you just give you a second. The team can help you out. Sylvie, you want to go uh, go next? Sixty seconds, Sylvie. Yes, of course. Do you hear me? It's okay. I can hear you. I can okay. hear you perfectly. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for to to uh, your active uh, for this initiative. Very interesting and uh, um, hi everybody. So uh, in few words, uh, I would like to say that I'm a member of the European Parliament. Uh, since uh, 2019, and uh, before that, uh, I was head of human resources in, in different private sector and public sectors. Uh, so uh, for me, of course, uh, the subject of uh, skills, competences is a huge uh, subject, very major subject. Um, I, I would like to, to add that my main, to summarize my uh, important legislative files during this mandate, I have been working on uh, minimum wages, pay transparency, which is a main subject also, platform work, uh, and uh, now violence uh, against women, especially uh, at work. So I will just summarize uh, my key message. Uh, which is the European uh, Union will meet uh, the challenge of uh, the digital transition and stay competitive only if uh, the EU includes all citizens with affordable and accessible programs um, to upskill and reskill uh, its workforce. So. I think, and we had a lot of discussions during the concerning the European year. I, I was a reporter for Renew Europe, um, and we all uh, know that it's very imp important to include everybody. Just before we know that in the EU, uh, we have more than forty percent of citizens. Uh, they have no basic basic digital skills, nothing. So um, it's a main point and we will develop it after, of course. Sylvie, thank you so much. Jorgi, I believe your sound is working now. Let's go back to you. 60 seconds, Jorgi. Thank you, Brian. Let's hope so. Can you confirm? Really? Perfect. Great. Thank you to Euractiv and uh, Giga Europe for the invitation. I will just build on what um, uh, Stefan and Sylvie actually said because um, the core, uh, the core is here about skills, but um, without education and training systems which are fit to develop this type of skills, uh, it is very, very difficult to reach the types of objectives that um, we have set ourselves. And as uh, as uh, the previous speaker said, Sylvie, we are a little bit far away from reaching those. So. When it comes to digitalization, my core message is that um, in order to reach the type of digital skills that we have uh, set ourselves at EU level, um, we need really um, two major um, priorities. On the one side, we need to um, uh, promote an effective digital education ecosystem, meaning that we need access to education and skills development from various um, let's say it's channels, not just traditional ones, but more and more also online learning or blended learning. And the second very, very important priority is that we have to constantly and continuously uh, develop digital skills because they are moving all the time and up and coming uh, digital transformations like artificial intelligence show it very nicely. 
Thank you so far. Jorge, thank you. Okay, we'll come back to some of those issues for sure. Anders, over to you, 60 seconds. Thank you very much and thank you for, for organizing this very important event. Uh, from my side, I think I will maybe just um, try to highlight the fact that digital skills and the need for, for digital skills and, and upskilling, reskilling really uh, is something that goes across the entire labor market. Uh, I mean, just the latest weeks, I've been in contact with the construction industry, uh, with the facility manager, managers, uh, institutions, as well as the gaming industry. And they all talk about how much they are in need of, of, of a digital skilled workforce and how much is happening specifically in their areas. So to really understand that this is something that um, affects all of society and all economic sectors uh, in different ways and, and, uh, and um, in different um, magnitudes, but still, uh, and that we also need to have an ongoing dialogue sector by sector, as well as an overarching one about how to really prepare for the, for the digital transition and what is needed and what kind of upskilling or reskilling we can, we can provide to, to facilitate these changes. Anders, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Raphael, over to you. 60 seconds. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be on this great panel on the question if a digital, digitalized European learning is what it takes to, to compete globally. I think it's clear that the digital transition is a fact and it can create uh, more learning opportunities for a wider group of the population. However, we often tap into the mistake of focusing only on technical digital skills. And what is needed are skills to become creative, to find new solutions, to become more curious, but also more cr critical in an informed way. Um, so um, this requires actually transversal skills and key competences. Uh, such as personal, social and learning to learn competences, but also uh, citizenship competences. For instance, when we think about issues uh, around data protection and internet safety. We also need to be aware that large numbers of the population are currently left behind by the digital transition. For instance, elderly people and people from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds and other groups with limited or no digital skills uh, who, for instance, are not able anymore to do bank transfers uh, unaided um, or who are not able to participate anymore in elections where voting computers are used. And this widens not only the digital, but also the social uh, divide. Um, so we believe from the LLLP that everyone from the very young to the very old should have the right to participate in quality education. And furthermore, um, creating an environment conducive to learning is key to increasing motivation for learning and to reaching out to a wider share of the population. And for this, we also need guidance for learners to navigate their way around the many learning offers that are there already and quality must be paramount in learning provision. Rafaela, thank you so much. And uh, finally, Thomas, 60 seconds. Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, when I went to the, to the East Coast, to Silicon Valley for the first time, what struck me most was that the entrepreneurship uh, that you see over there and the innovation actually started with the ambition to put a man on the moon. With NASA's ecosystem, they, they created an environment of learning, of development, and giving opportunities to the best talent. And when I came back to my company uh, in the Netherlands, I realized that we were not doing great at that. 
So we implemented something that I call the Netflixification of learning. So we are making more than 10,000 trainings online, offline, available to all our people. And since then, we quadrupled uh, our the number of learning interventions. Actually, we did that within a year. Uh, and we are also doing this for everybody, all our staff. Uh, and that equity point is something that Rafaela was also talking about just now, because in European society, we should not leave anyone behind. And research from the Vodafone Foundation learns us that 38% of teachers in Europe feels that they are not able to give uh, the, the right uh, education to their children when it comes to digi digital skills. And this is where companies like us are also taking uh, their responsibility. And I'm happy to share more about that. Uh, Thomas, thank you very much, first of all, for raising this uh, man in the moon uh, analogy as well. I really think it's super important. If you've seen the film Hidden Figures, which I watched recently with, with my daughters, uh, it's, uh, it, it really binds all these elements together. It's talking about uh, those who, who are uh, disenfranchised in society but have uh, amazing skills being brought into a, a high technology workforce with ambition uh, and how the education system and didn't discriminate uh, through that as well. And, uh, and so all these elements are bound together. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that as well later on. So thank you for, for that, Thomas. Now, just to, before we get into this full discussion, uh, Slido is open now as well. Uh, hashtag skills today. So if you go to Slido, uh, Slido and put hashtag skills, you can scan on your phone there. Uh, this, the QR code's up on the screen for you. And just give you a moment to do that. We're going to take questions throughout the discussion, not just at the end. Uh, so begin sending those questions now. We'll take as many as we can through the course of the discussion. And so just get started on that right away. After a few minutes of conversation, I'm going to start bringing uh, questions uh, from Slido uh, to our panelists as well. Just uh, a few uh, elements for Slido. Tell us who you are, where you're from, if you would, please. Uh, just so that uh, we give some context. You don't have to, but it, it's nice uh, for the audience uh, to see that. If you have a particular question for a specific person, uh, please mention that also in your question. We'll put it to them first and then see if the rest of the panel want to, uh, to comment. So uh, get started on Slido there. Now, let's do the high-level stuff first. Uh, Jorgi, you're uh, the, the frontline specialist in this, and then I'll come to, to Stefan uh, a little bit uh, after on terms of what the European Commission is doing really to raise awareness uh, and ensure that all EU citizens are, first of all, aware, but uh, able to engage uh, with uh, lifelong learning, with the skills agenda in, in a, a clear and, and direct way. Jorgi. Yeah, thank you. I will start with the education vantage point because Stefan is a bit better positioned, I think, to go into the uh, skills. Um, what we what we see is that uh, in order to promote skills, I mean, one can look at this in a sort of a pyramid way. And um, the higher you go, of course, the more advanced skills become. But uh, the reality, as we know it from our different statistics and from the um, uh, regular reporting on the targets that we have set, for example, on the basic digital skills or on the advanced digital skills of which we need or we want to have 20 million, is that on both accounts, we are not doing as well as we would like to. Uh, what I mean by this is that if we extrapolate the growth of the last five years, um, and we look forward to 2030, 
uh, we're not going to reach our targets. Uh, this is both for the basic digital skills where today we are around 40, uh, sorry, um, 54% or 55%, as well as uh, the ICT advanced professionals, people in AI and cybersecurity and so on. So what is super, super important is that we engage all the parts which contribute to the um, raising awareness on digital skills, uh, which of course is the purpose of the European Year of Skills. But uh, from our vantage point of view, education and training is really paramount. Why? Because if you look at the pyramid, this is the place where you effectively reach everyone before you know, uh, they go into, let's say, higher education or they become uh, parts of a company which can be very, very innovative or it can be also less innovative in terms of lifelong learning. The main issue here is that we have to get as many people through the education system to develop this type of digital skills. And if you look at data and evidence in Europe, um, on average, the reality is that, um, let's say, digital skills development is not necessarily something which is um, as integrated in our education and training systems. Uh, let's say if you compare it to the way mathematics, language learning or science is provided in our education systems, this is now happening for decades, maybe even for hundreds of years. If you just take digital skills and you just compare it, uh, either if you look at informatics provision or you take more, let's say, uh, transversal ways to teach digital skills, the reality is that it's a much more of a hit and miss environment. And if we now take back our, uh, let's say, big objectives, our high level ambition, and we ask ourselves, OK, do we do enough in order to reach those uh, targets? Then um, the answer should be probably not. This is why, for us, it is very, very important when we speak about the skills uh, mismatch or the skills development and also the context of the European uh, Year of Skills to say that education and training systems have really a fundamental role. And this is in particular the case for digital skills. Okay, thank, thank you. you. I was at, I, I live in Washington and it was at a, a speech by the head of Space Command here which is one of the military, part of the armed forces, but most of the other armed forces don't really take it uh, as an integral part. But the, the commander, he said that he wants uh, the Space Force to be the, the eggs in the cake mix. And it's, it seems to me that digital is, is a little as you've described it, Jorge, as well. You know, it's not the traditional part of what we do in education, but for our future economy, for our competitiveness, if we don't have uh, digital skills right in the, the cake mix, uh, the, the other parts won't work as effectively as well. Stefan, uh, how do you see this in terms of what the Commission is doing to, to reach uh, the right audience and to achieve these targets which are, are, are behind uh, scale at the moment? Thank you, thank you Brian. I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, take to continue from, from what Georgie said. I mean, the, the European year we see is a fantastic opportunity to, to step up the the uh, the communication the 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 awareness raising um european years can can have different have had different themes in the past uh, and and different aims but this this one is really about uh, about getting this message about upskilling about investment in, that the investment in skills uh, is going to pay off both for the individual for for the for the company um, uh, as, and, and that there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of good practices out there. Um, obviously, communicating from Brussels uh, is always going to be a challenge. So we rely, uh, as always, on intermediary actors at national and local levels. 
specifically for the year we have national coordinators. And I think that will be a very powerful tool with with uh, uh, top officials in each country who will uh, design and look at existing activities, new activities, and how to get this message out and also learn from each other to see how is a, a specific country successful in, in getting the messages out. Um, then, uh, yeah, many networks. I think the, the EU funds is a very important uh, catalyst here. We have over 30 billion uh, available or being used for skills um, uh, in, in the European uh, Social Fund Plus. And therefore, the people who are managing these funds, uh, the so-called management authorities, um, are uh, as well as the national uh, agencies for, for Erasmus, uh, they are going to be very important player, players in this uh, uh, as well. Um, I could continue uh, with the different networks, but I think that I would also take out the public employment services, which we work very closely with, uh, also with the private employment services uh, to, 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 bring, to bring this message out. And then finally, and we'll, I think we'll come back to that, under the Pact for Skills, we have, of course, more concrete measures. We have 15 large, par uh, large um, uh, partnerships uh, with the pledges to, uh, to, to upskill over 6 million people in the EU. So I think that there are many ways, many, many uh, pathways this information can, can uh, pass. Um, and, and, and we're trying to really exploit all of them in the context of the year. Yeah, okay, thank you for Stefan. I'm going to come to Sylvie just a second to follow up on this, but just before we do, do you think there are too many organizations, there are too many partners involved in this as well? Skills Week, for example, um, requires you know, uh, uh, the, the delegated action of all the networks across Europe. It, do you think that's the most efficient way to get this done or is this simply a matter of pragmatic politics in, in the European Union? Uh, I think that it's, sometimes it's complicated. <laughs> and uh, in fact, uh, um, the, the, our target uh, is... Do you hear me? Yes, I'm perfectly. Sure. Oh, I, I was... No, I'm sorry. Uh, so, um, you know, um, I think it's depending on each uh, member state. For example, I, I'm in France. Uh, in France, it's... It's very complicated for me, just be, be, because we have a lot of actors, uh, regions, uh, public actors, uh, and when we would like to develop some projects, sometimes it's not so simple to coordinate it. But in fact, um, what we would like really uh, to develop and to plan with the European Year of Skills, and especially in the in the concerning digital skills, it's to develop so local projects, um, concrete projects, and um, I think this is a good idea. And uh, with um, uh, the, the regard of uh, the validation of uh, the EU uh, and uh, the European level. So yes, in fact, I, I know it's not so, so easy, but we tried with this uh, uh, legislation, this decision of uh, European Year of Skills to, to promote it uh, to give um, a nice regard. It's, it's a little bit communication and marketing, but I hope that we will develop a lot of concrete projects. And 
which is very important it's to um, communicate on the projects to give maybe some ideas to different actors in different uh, member states just because I'm sure that we have some nice projects and um, it could be a very nice uh, thing to to have a, yes to communicate thank you let, let me let me bring it to, to Rafaela. Rafaela, it's one thing to say we have nice projects. Uh, it's another thing to get people engaged in those projects as well and to convince them that it's worth their while. And some of the research I've seen in this indicates that people simply don't think that a lot of the lifelong learning projects available to them are worth their time or the, the small amount of money even that they're required to pay to participate in them as well. You know, from, from where uh, you see your organizations uh, meeting uh, stakeholders, what, what kind of messaging do you think works in terms of convincing people that uh, this is, as we just heard, it's an investment uh, for the future. Investing in skills at an individual level, at a corporate level, is uh, for the long term. Rafaela. Um, well, the question is always why people aren't uh, motivated to participate in lifelong learning. Um, and um, I've, I've also seen studies from the OECD that say that uh, motivation or uh, lack of motivation is actually the biggest barrier to participate in lifelong learning. Um, but this is very much also um, a question of uh, environments um, where people live and uh, how conducive they are to, to learning, um, how engaging they are. Um, for example, do people get uh, paid training leave? Uh, do people um, get any financial incentives uh, to participate in lifelong learning? Is there uh, some childcare um, during course hours um, for people who, uh, who have care responsibilities and so on? So this is um, actually a question very much also of the, the wider environment that uh, people live in, and especially when we talk about adults. And um, you also raised the question of investment. Um, well, whose investment should it be? Of course, uh, learners, uh, individuals themselves uh, might also have this uh, need for, for an investment um, if they see an, a return on investment as well, because learning should be relevant for them. Also, uh, if we talk about workplace learning or work-related learning, then it should uh, there should be a, a uh, return on investment. But shouldn't um, we also look more into public investment uh, for lifelong learning, because this is where we see um, great challenges. And especially when we again look at adult learning, um, we now have 0.1% of the GDP spent on adult learning uh, on average across the EU. Um, and still we expect very large results from it. Uh, is this really um, how, how it can work? Um, and also, if we look at the European level and European funding, uh, we see that agriculture gets a lot more funding uh, than, than education and skills. And of course, agriculture is very important. But then again, it's a question also of priorities. Um, where do we put our priorities? And is learning actually really such a big um priority that we always claim it to be of course from our perspective it is but is it uh, really to policymakers as well okay well simply from an economic perspective as well which you said is is the amount of money invested in, in uh, lifelong learning is is it's even just a fraction of that invested in uh, primary and secondary educations between 
uh, 3.6 and, and 4.8% across the European Union, I think, as well. So, you know, the, the, that's off scale if you're just investing in early years compared to uh, the next 40 uh, years of, of, of a worker's life as well. You know, what, what's the skills investment? So, Rafaela, do you think we should be viewing lifelong learning more as a public good than simply as a, an add-on for your career development? Absolutely, yes. Um, and this is also one of our key demands uh, that it, it is considered a human right um, and uh, a right to for everyone to, to participate in quality education um, throughout um, their life um, from the very young to the very old age. Thank you. Anders, you were talking about the competitiveness of Europe and why skills matters. Uh, in that context as well, uh, you know, uh, the Swedish presidency. What's his big concern here? How do we how do we ensure that Europe is not just match ready uh, for the, the coming years, but uh, that we really have the capacity long term to uh, evolve those skills? So if we don't start now, we're going to be behind the curve even further in ten years time, twenty years time. So this early investment, these critical years, how how does the the, the Swedish presidency see this in terms of what's been achieved now and what needs done? Yeah, no, I think that there are there are several steps. Uh, first of all, we, we need to know much more actually what what, what skill set we have and what skill set we need. Uh, so we need we need to spend much more attention to to analysis to to matching um, sort of closing the skills gap. Well, to close the skills gap, we need to know what the skills gaps actually are, uh, and that's I think we're we're lacking in in many sectors. Um, another uh, important topic, as, as Raffaele was, was was pointing to, is, is uh, making it um, making upskilling, reskilling accessible to everybody. Um, I mean, to answer some of the questions being, that have been posed here, I don't think it's, it's just a matter of, of mindset uh, that we don't have more people upskilling or reskilling. I think it's also a matter of um, preconditions. I think for, for, for many people, it's uh, financially difficult and it's also uh, sort of socially difficult to take too much time off to upskill and reskill um, unless there are there is enough support. Uh, that's something we're, we're looking into in Sweden, uh, for instance, that we were, we're making sure that those who are in, in the sort of declining sectors and want to move over to, to sectors that are sort of on the, on the, on the rise, can get um, substantial support to do that for up to a year's time, so to sort of to enable uh, everybody to upskill and reskill, and also to make sure that it's transmitted all through society that we all need to think of, of, of our upskilling and reskilling needs. Uh, so I think that's that's important. Thank you. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Anders. Thomas, you know, we, we're not competing in a vacuum. It's an international workplace. Uh, you know, Vodafone Zigo uh, clearly has a, an international um, range in terms of, of its ability to attract talent as well. You know, what's your experience in terms of drawing talent to work in your company and also just the general environment that, that you operate in as well? Do you see a more internationalized approach uh, to skills transfer, talent, mobility, uh, and how uh, globally uh, Europe fits with this uh, ambition uh, to be competitive globally with skills. Yeah, definitely. So if I look at the, 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 the new hires every month, we see an increasing amount of people coming from outside of the Netherlands, but also outside of the EU, actually. 
because they bring in skills that are scarce uh, here. Um, and uh, so I would definitely say that the talent uh, environment, especially also in a, as we operate more virtually, um, uh, has become more international than it has ever been before. And also as the labor market uh, in Europe will become more tight over the coming years, I expect this talent mobility to, to increase. Um, and I think that we also have our skill gaps. And actually, uh, there is a lot of artificial intelligence supporting us identifying exactly what those skill gaps are. And what, what, what I think we need also need to talk about is from the perspective of the citizen in Europe or the employee in a company. Because learning actually is changing. And changing is out of comfort. And a lot of people uh, will find reasons to postpone it, maybe to do it tomorrow, to start investing or a, a training maybe next year. And what we have seen is that you need to take away those hurdles uh, and create a sense of urgency to get people uh, to take initiatives. Um, and, and I think that that is also something that we need to think about when we talk about this, this topic, is how can we create a sense of urgency and make it as seamless as possible for people to start uh, with, with a development initiative for themselves. Excellent point. Just on skills gap, you know, it's, it's a good phrase, a lot of people use it, but what do we mean by skills gap and how, how do you identify uh, where, where that gap is and how it should be corrected? Thomas. Yeah, so what we do is we plan uh, for with our business for five years into the future from a financial perspective, but also from an organizational development uh, perspective and a skills perspective. So we know how many skills uh, uh, and what kind of skills we need in five years. And from there, we kind of backcast to where we are today. And what we have learned is that there are several AI uh, capabilities that help us identify those skill gaps because these are often universal. They play in most, most companies. And when we do that, when we make that very visible, and I heard it in, in the introductions as well, how many people actually need to develop but also, if you look at your company, how many roles are going to be changing in the next five years, that creates this sense of urgency. And we then build kind of the learning journeys with training and other learning interventions to start to develop those skills at scale. Perfect. Thank you. Very clear, Thomas. Okay, let's go to Slido. See what we've got on Slido. And uh, this is the first question. Uh, so it's on the digital divides from Tomasio Sibilia. It's just disappeared. What is this turned on? Um, we can back on that in a moment. Okay, I see it again. It's the other side. Okay, on the digital divide point raised by Rafael Akira, but welcoming answers from Stefan and uh, Georgi also. How do you reconcile digitized Europe learning with the lack of high connectivity? in European rural areas. So Rafaela first, and then uh, Stefan and uh, Georgi, if you want to contribute as well. Rafaela, how do you uh, reconcile digitized Europe learning with the lack of high connectivity in European rural areas? Thank you for that, Tomasa. Well, this is actually one of the, the issues that we are struggling with. Um, 
And yeah, there are some interesting initiatives to provide uh, better broadband uh, connections, um, also in remote areas, in rural areas. Um, but indeed, uh, the question is always who has access to the technology and who has access to the learning. Um, there are quite a lot of initiatives actually at the very local and regional level to provide uh, learning for digital skills, um, also for wider skills in community learning centers, in, in adult education, in, in other forms of education. So the learning uh, can be provided um, at least uh, in, in many areas. Um, but uh, then if people don't have access to the te technology and if there is no good internet connection, then it still remains an issue. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't have a solution for this either. I, I just really hope that uh, in the future, um, also that the needs of people in rural areas uh, will be considered a bit more than building broadband connections and so on. Okay, thank you. Stefan, Jorki, you want to add to that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, no, clearly a, a, a challenge. And uh, if you look at it from a, an EU perspective, which, which of course will always be a bit limited considering how small part of the budget is, is, uh, is coming from the EU in many countries. Um, but uh, we, we have a, a number of, of initiatives going on. We have this structural dialogue, for example, where we discussed with each member state what they were doing um, on, uh, on digital skills. And uh, I remember one very good one with Romania where, where we were talking about this particular challenge and also looking at how you can use the EU funds, which for a country like Romania is a quite substantial part of, of funding to, to with the um, ERDF, the Regional Development Fund, together with the Social Fund, you, you combine. So you, 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 you combine the skills development with the infrastructure. And I think the, the, um, the, the, all the funding that has come after uh, in, the, in the wake of, of COVID and, 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 and the financial challenges um, uh, like the RRF, a recovery Resilience Fund have also focused on these type of issues and reforms. So there is a lot of work in trying to reach out uh, to to um, to regions uh, and and focusing on digitalization. Um, also, we we should a policy document the Commission in harnessing skills, which also focused on this regional perspective. So there's a lot of understanding. There's a but but of course it also requires government very decisive government action and investment in these regions um so so i think it's uh, yeah a, a crucial issue but a big challenge okay lunch okay you're anything to add there thank you stefan i would uh, i would very much agree with the existing problem of the let's say lack of infrastructure in very specific spots and very specific places and regional areas However, um, I would also warn a little bit, um, um, let's say, uh, from just thinking that this is the real problem, because uh, if anything, the digital divide uh, today um, really stands much more from the population which does not have uh, the right level of skills to participate in um, a wide range of digital provisions. This is not to, um, let's say, you know, hide away a fact that there are specific places where there is no 5G or where there is no fiber, etc., uh, etc. Et but um, uh, when we think about uh, specific parts of the population, 
um, I mean, um, uh, elderly people, there is a, a whole group of people who are not able to use the services which are provided uh, just because of lack of skills. Um, I would say that we need to really carefully consider what does digital divide mean. And in fact, um, we think that the digital divide refers at least to equal parts uh, to the lack of, let's say, the connectivity maybe or the access, which, as I said, there is a problem with. And as Stefan said, there is lots of instruments, especially from the RRF, which are massively being invested into. But on the other hand, it is really of the mismatch between availability of these kind of services, but um, population which cannot take them into account. And this is a real, real danger the more we move into digitalization of uh, e-government services, e-health, uh, digital learning, etc., etc. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Points well made. And uh, let's go to just another question, a point from Esko Renekainen. And I think it's more for Thomas. Uh, what, are the, what are some of the artificial intelligence tools that can identify skill gaps uh, that you just mentioned, Thomas? Anything in particular that that's, um, they can go yeah, to? Yeah, I can give maybe, yeah, maybe two examples. So, so we created this unlimited uh, learning platform uh, where training is available for all our employees. Um, uh, and this is with Archipel in the Netherlands. They built an AI tool uh, that can do this also on an individual basis. So people can basically submit what they are good at, what their ambition is. And the tool will then tell them what kind of skills they can develop. And on, on a company uh, level, um, uh, to be honest, ChatGPT already does a good job, but also TechWolf in Belgium is a company that does this for several companies in Europe uh, where they help with AI to, uh, to uh, basically determine the capability gaps in the next years. Thank you. We'll come back to AI in a bit more detail in a few minutes. And just another couple of comments here. Uh, Nello Amarencia says, the sense of urgency must be created for the individual, not only for the employer. We must provide clear answers to what's in it for me from an employee perspective uh, that will help uh, him or her be motivated to change uh, ideas on how to do this. Maybe someone wants to pick up on that. And uh, Shweta says, what are the panelists' thoughts on utilizing tools people already using? So bringing attention to this is a recent study that found that girls who play video games are three times as likely to pursue STEM careers than girls who do not, even amongst girls from different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. So uh, who wants to uh, touch on those? Let's do the STEM career as well. And, and girls, uh, anybody, anybody have any thoughts on this about um, the incentive? I think really what it goes to is how to incentivize early uh, learning in terms of digital skills, uh, which carry through uh, perhaps uh, uh, with, uh, with sectors, not just girls, but with sectors uh, of society that um, wouldn't instinctively go towards um, as, uh, the digital element, perhaps. Uh, any comments on that, Sylvie? Uh, Thomas, Thomas first. Yes, maybe, uh, yes. I have a comment. It's a, it's a very um, major Questions. We know that uh, uh, women in science um, uh, careers remain a mi minority. Uh, we have the problem in all the EU. Uh, we try to develop it, uh, but um, 
it's not simple. And uh, we have, I think, to combat uh, stereotypes, uh, to encourage and, and retain uh, women in STEM careers. We have the problem uh, in the orientation at school, at first level at school, just because um, it's difficult to explain uh, the jobs, the careers, uh, especially to the girls and uh, to, to the, the women. Um, I think that we have to develop uh, local uh, initiatives uh, to encourage uh, women uh, to access digital skills. I did it, for example, uh, in my city, in Marseille, um, with uh, NEETS, young uh, people. Uh, we, when we developed some programs in coding, for example, I have a program which is Women Coders, only with women. Uh, it's very difficult just because we have no candidates, maybe 3% of women uh, by candidates. It's very difficult, but we tried and we did it. And it's a good example of what we can do uh, with um, in the, in the sectors of training, uh, with uh, an, uh, a structure which is in, in Germany also. It's with a, a European uh, dimension. For me, um, it's maybe a good idea also uh, to, to combine um, uh, the acquisition of skills and mobi with mobility, especially uh, European mobility. I try to do it uh, with Erasmus and so, so for this needs, this young people who are very far of, uh, of the, the, the labor market. Um, it's an example of programs that we have to develop, but it's very difficult to, to be attractive and uh, to recruit and to have some candidates uh, only for uh, 30 um, stage person trainees. It was very difficult, but we, we, we did it. Okay. We did it. And now they have some new job uh, with coding and uh, new career. Okay. Thank you, Sylvie. And just to, to build up a little bit and go back to some of the comments you made earlier, you know, is this problem of getting uh, you know, girls in, in school years and, and, and women as they progress through to the workforce, is this partly a problem of social mobility because of the way society is organized? Or do you think this is uh, to do with how we educate as well, that the, the digital side, well, that's more of a, a man's thing, that's, you know, that, that leave the women with the arts and is, do we still have this kind of mentality in our education system which limits the opportunity for parts of society to progress with that uh, digital skills, Anders? Yeah, I, yes, both yes and no, really. Uh, I think uh, it's partly probably that we, we stick to, to all the sort of stereotypes, um, but also that we don't really explain enough or good enough what these new jobs actually entail. Uh, I was in a discussion with the gaming industry, which is pretty was it's it's very male dominated, actually at the moment. But they're making big efforts to to get up the the the, the quota of, of female uh, employers, and they pointed out that you think that that the main skills and the main job in in gaming industry is coding, but actually only I think twenty seven percent of their workforce actually work with coding. And has that kind of very more hardcore digital background, while I think 32% has a more humanistic background. Um, artists, actually historians, 
people with a very different background, but now working uh, with something that is quite um, sort of central to to digital digital kind of work. So I mean, this is also needs to be highlighted that the fact that the the jobs, the digital jobs of tomorrow, are not really the the traditional digital jobs of, of yesterday. That they 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 are built on a much wider range of competences, and you can have um, a much wider uh, different. You can have different backgrounds and still end up uh, in the digital sector. I think that's important, especially maybe for for the young women to to highlight this that you don't need to be a coder. You can you can still you can you can choose a different educational path, but you can add on things and then still uh, find good jobs in in the in the more digital sectors. Thank you. And it's a great response to a super question. Uh, we have uh, Jorgi, then Thomas, then Rafaela also want to reply to this question as well. So uh, clearly top marks for the question. Uh, Jorgi, you first. Yes, I think uh, there is no doubt that um, affirmative uh, sort of action initiatives and uh, role modeling and promotion of, of um, let's say, leading, leading uh, roles and examples have a big impact and Sylvie mentioned some. Um, I am also familiar with a couple of initiatives at EU level, uh, such as the Girls Go Circular, where digital and entrepreneurial skills are developed um, in a combination as a sort. Um, but there is also this other element um, that um, education uh, and um, universal education in uh, digital disciplines from an earlier age on uh, have a huge impact. And this is very, very clearly demonstrable in um, data, which you can look at uh, at the different member states just by asking a question such as where is uh, computer science and informatics being provided as um, a core part of the education and not as some sort of um, optional, uh, rather, you know, opt-in or, or um, like, a, uh, like a subject of choice. And um, you can go as far as to see the historical legacy of systems which have been providing this type of computer science education for the last 20, 30 years. And you can look at the level of ICT graduates and break this down into females and males. And you will see astonishing results, such as, for example, that in Bulgaria, which is normally not a digital leader in many, many rank lists, um, it's the country with the highest um, amount of uh, female graduates um, in ICT, um, just because there is no self-selection, which takes place at the ages of 12, 13, 14, which is when girls often decide that this is not for them, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a real case here for systematic access to digital skills development in a comprehensive form where everyone is part of and not uh, sort of, you know, uh, left to the, to the role models or to the who, you know, who your father was, because that's a self-fulfilling prophecy that we often see. Great question. Thank you. Thank you, Yogi. So let's avoid self-selection where possible. Uh, Thomas, you wanted to add a comment, and Rafael. Yeah. So maybe maybe two things. So so first of all, uh, the research from the Vodafone Foundation has found that thirty-eight percent of teachers in Europe are not well prepared to support digital uh, literacy development. Uh, that's that's an astonishing amount, and I think that that we should be able to provide them with the education they need uh, to be able to teach these uh, skills to their students. 
but also I think that the making these skill development programs that can also be online available to everyone um, uh, uh, can also help to do that in Europe. And it's often still exclusive access for the people uh, 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 who know how to get to certain content or who can afford access to certain content. And that is, I think, definitely creating a divide uh, that, that can be, I think, relatively easily addressed across Europe. Thank you. Rafaela. Um, yeah, I wanted to uh, especially react to, to what Anders um, mentioned about um, the 27% or so uh, in, in uh, ICT jobs that are actual, actual coding, um, because um, there is indeed a lot of awareness raising uh, needed on um, jobs in, in this sector. Um, and uh, we, when we look at uh, STEM subjects or how subjects are, are built in, in schools in general, um, we need to, to look at uh, what, is, what is the outcome then? Um, because uh, while it is important to, to promote these kinds of skills, and I think game-based learning, for example, is really great in, in uh, motivating also girls to get into uh, STEM jobs and uh, STEM studies and so on, we still shouldn't forget that um, there is a whole uh, other part of education that's that's also very important and that can help actually people to, to make a sense of uh, what's happening in, in ICT, in, in uh, mathematics um, and sciences. Um, and that's um, all the creative subjects. And um, this is why we uh, at the European level now talk about STEAM subjects very much uh, that puts the art or the arts uh, education into STEM um, and that um, helps people to, to get these uh, creative um, capabilities and uh, logical thinking uh, capabilities that are also needed for these subjects, but also um, to, to uh, create a more holistic vision of, uh, of education and uh, uh, this uh, area specifically. And um, what uh, Thomas just mentioned on professionalization of teachers is very much true for, for educators along um, the, the entire uh, lifelong learning spectrum. Um, and um, if we want to, to promote these kinds of skills specifically, um, then we, we should also look at uh, not only what's happening inside of schools, but also in early childhood education already, and then, of course, in adult education as well. Okay, thank you. Uh, Stefano, just a quick comment on agility and leadership as, as well here. You know, agility in the sense that this is not a, a fixed target. You know, skills is, is a constantly evolving uh, scenario and the agility of the individual and the corporation or the institution uh, to, to learn and adapt um, is probably never going to be tested more than in this coming AI age. You know, from, from the European Commission's perspective as well, how do you... How do you assist uh, the learning of, of leaders and corporations to be more agile and to make these changes more quickly? Because it's fine to have a policy document and a long-term strategy, and um, still hard to reach those targets as, as we've heard, uh, but the policy process tends to lag behind the technology. So uh, how do we train the, the leaders uh, to be more agile, Stefan? 
Thanks, Brian. You mean more agile on skills or, or more, more agile on, on in general? Strategy. Uh, yeah, um, more agile in general, because the, 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 the challenge is to move the skills in the right direction, the skills agenda in the right direction at the right time, you know, recognizing uh, what the corporation, mm -hmm. the institution needs and adapting quickly. But that takes a skill set in, in its own right as well. So the leadership dimension uh, of agility for to make us more competitive, to make Europe more competitive quickly. Yeah, to me, it's it's a lot about what we've been discussing so far, uh, and uh, and again, that one of the challenges are that everybody in this panel, I think we we are all convinced uh, of of the investment in skills, and we 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 hear these very impressive statistics, and and we we. Um, uh, do we we do this immediate correlation between competitiveness and skills uh, as i said uh, initially uh, to me it was a very important step when when the commission put skills as one of the pillars in the uh, in the in the green industrial act and and that 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 is the type of message and and when our the commission president and and when the european parliament the the council are really lifting up skills to the to the top level, or linked not to um, not uh, to general social policy, but really to the future of European productive uh, productivity. I think that's and and we saw, for example, in Davos, uh, skills was was present in almost all the sessions. So so we are we are getting a, a debate at a very high level. And uh, I think when, when I discuss with top businesses, uh, I won't mention any names, but you know they, they are now moving to a very different type of, of strategy. Um, uh, a top multinational told me that only 50% of their, of their recruitment ads um, are, uh, require a formal qualification because they, they see the need for a much more informal recruitment process. However, 20% of uh, 20 of the only 20% recruited are recruited without uh, higher education diplomas. So, so, so there is a, uh, this needs to more, I think the top level is starting to understand it, but it needs to go down in the organization. It needs to go down to the HR managers, to the recruiters, to understand that you have to be much more um, uh, innovative and, 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 and breaking down barriers when you're th thinking about skills and, and taking responsibility uh, in the company, in the learning institution uh, uh, to, to, to experiment and not get stuck in what we have done the last 30 years. And, and, and that is, yeah, any such change. I, I think it was, very, it was fascinating with COVID when we could move to online work, but it was yeah. because of an outer catastrophe, and 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 we are. I hopefully we will not have that catastrophe in the skills area. We're getting closer to it, but but we need this to really make make us all think differently. And 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 but I I think the signals from the top political level and the top okay. business level are there now. So I'm I'm rather positive. Okay, thank you. Thomas, I want to dig down a little bit uh, for a few minutes on AI and how AI is, is uh, shifting not just our uh, skills agenda, but what it means for our competitive uh, ability globally as well. So 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I had uh, dinner with uh, somebody who works at the IMF, a senior level on, on the tech side as well. And they said, we're basically writing all our strategies on ChatGPT and then editing them. Now, he has the advantage of uh, PhD philosophy. And he said, this is a huge It means that he, he has some training in how to interrogate the system in terms of logic and, and how that, that would work. And so he spoke a lot about that. He also said, the majority of people don't have these skills and they're going to produce uh, mediocrity. The, 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 the byproduct of ChatGPT for most organizations, most individuals, is going to be mediocre. And in the competitive global environment, that doesn't work. So, Thomas, how do you see AI helping uh, European skills agenda? How do you see it as a challenge uh, as we compete globally? I think that um you always need to continue to think for yourself right so chat gbt can only provide you with context can get information that is already there but cannot think about something new so you need to be able to take that information also really assess carefully what information is trustworthy and what's not because you don't have the sources right and then apply it yourself so that means that analytical skills critical thinking uh, but also communication skills are becoming more important i think um and ai today is where the iphone was in 2008 2009 i think so that means that that if you think about that, what's going to come down the line in the next 10, 20 years is immense. Uh, and I think that business leaders uh, uh, need, and leaders in society, need to uh, uh, invest time in really understanding what it means. Um, and, and this is also what, what, what we just discussed. Uh, how can you kind of accelerate a culture of skill development in, in a company? And although a lot of us are kind of convinced of the importance and the magnitude of this challenge, it's also important to just take time with your leaders, sit down and do the coding yourself. Go and code uh, for a day, do uh, 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 an analysis, uh, you apply uh, chat GBT. Um, and this is something that we did with top 200 of Vodafone as well when we were starting the digital transformation of the company. So, so you not only conceptually know what coding means, but that you that you actually really understand it, because then you can best inspire others uh, to develop themselves in into this direction. Um, so, so this is, I think, what 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 the responsibility of leaders is when it comes to these AI and digital uh, technologies. So understand your subject before you go making policies about it, basically. Absolutely, yeah. Anders, you have a comment? Yes, yeah. I mean, you really point to some important things there, Thomas, and thank you very much for, for that. Uh, I think um, and a special difficulty in, in the future will also be how do we then validate and, and sort of quality assure what, what people really know? Uh, and I think we want exactly what you point to, the, the, the ability to, to think critically, analyze, um, come up with new things. Um, but that, of course, we need to know who, who really do that and who uses these arti artificial 
tools to do it. So I think the the um, emphasis on, on on validating informal knowledge, transversal skills, um, knowledge that is not just formal, I think that will become even more dif more difficult, but more important in the future. So validation of skills is on, really, on... yeah. Yeah, just on that, Anders, you know, the idea that we should, we will actually need to know whether AI was used or not, is the skill set that we're moving towards really a blended form of, you know, of communication, blended form of art, blended form of engineering and discovery as well, where you know, these critical analytical tools that we have as individuals, these soft skills that we have as artists or marketing experts, or communication experts, that's uh, is has to be blended with AI in the future, that this has got to be part of our productivity, uh, if not our creative process as well, Anders. Yes, I do really believe so, that uh, this is where we, we add a lot of, of, of added value as, as individuals, because they, they are not usually found in, in, in a traditional CV. Uh, these are skills that you usually have acquired uh, while working, while, while interacting with other people, while, while taking on even informal uh, learning so but they they need to be highlighted because that's really where we can add value and where we can blend together with the ais and use the 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 tools that they provide us with because we of course we, we're going to use them and it's going to be a big difference but uh, our added value as as individuals and and, and, and um, uh, employed persons really is to add okay. the, the the creative and and the um uh the skills that we have acquired but they need to, of course, somehow to be validated and, and, and shown to, to others. Thank you. Uh, but five years ago, I was teaching journalism to uh, some uh, 20-somethings and telling them, basically, if, if you don't have multitask and if you can't bring a human dimension to your storytelling, you won't have a job because AI will do this for you. And we already see this in media today. It's much more cost-effective to produce data-driven stories at a fraction of the cost. And, and we're going to see this uh, driving a lot of other sectors, I, I think, as well. Anybody else want to comment on AI? Um, so I see a lot of nodding heads during the conversation. So how, how, how do you see in your experience in HR in the past uh, that AI has a positive and negative effect in, in terms of skills training, in terms of productivity and competitiveness? Sylvie. Oh, um, I can say that it's already different depending on the, on the sector. Um, I was human resources director um, in the technology sector, smart cards industry. So um, it was natural. Uh, the level of training was very high in, in, in the company. Now it's Thales. Uh, at the beginning, it, it was a um, start uh, startup, and now it's, it's a big company. It was natural. After that, I was human resources director in the cleaning sector with uh, a lot of women. Um, first level in terms of uh, uh, competency training. And we try to develop, um, for example, applications on phone for um, to, to have the contact with uh, uh, clients, customers uh, in the services. It's different. Uh, level, so um, <clears throat> I think it's really, really different and depending um, on the sectors. And another point which is very important: it's a, a subject of social dialogue with unions. It's it's a structural dialogue, and um, 
for me it's an important point also uh, but I know sometimes it's difficult. What I would like to add, it's I think it's maybe a good point to have a common framework. It's possible at the European level. For example, we have Europass, we have Dishcomp. I don't know. But in fact, I see that people don't know really uh, this, uh, this framework. So they write, okay. I have some... Uh, competencies, but what is the framework? How we recognize uh, the level? Maybe it's a subject okay. to be more simple. Hmm. Okay, Rafael, I want to make a comment, but just to, to tag on to that, there were some comments on Slido. Uh, Antonio Gonzalez Gomez said, uh, constant learning, skill-based, lifelong learning, digitalization, and the need to keep up with fast-moving developments, all signs uh, like very innovative groundbreaking ideas. Is this the idea, is this the beginning of the end of traditional learning, university degrees, diplomas, and the like? Also, uh, we have a comment from Katerina. Uh, Thomas raised the issue of critical thinking, which in my opinion is essential at all levels and in the future. Uh, I have a question for Stefan there. We'll bring that to Stefan just after. Rafaela, you want to make a comment, Rafaela? Um, yeah, I think what we witness is really a, a shift towards more um, cognitive work in a way, more intellectual work um, in all um, parts of, of uh, jobs. Um, and we used to focus very much on low skilled um, people and how to reach out to them and um, get them into learning um, or further education. But now, especially with automation and artificial intelligence, we see that it's also the middle sector and, and the higher um, segments of, of uh, the labor market that will require this um, this continuous um, upskilling and reskilling and so on. So this is also a challenge for for uh, the entire um, education system and lifelong learning system. And actually also connected to one of the questions that uh, we just mentioned. I think that there will be much more modular learning in the future, um, and we will need to continuously. Um, upgrade uh, our skills. But then the question is always, um, how do you get people into that? And how do you make it relevant? And um, how do you also make it a joy to learn and to participate? It shouldn't just be a paradigm to always be in learning and then uh, always cram for okay. exams. But for, for example, self-assessment can be very beneficial and helpful um, in the future. Thank you. We're close on time. Thomas, you want to follow up just a quick point on traditional education and then uh, Stefan will bring a question to you and then we're going to do a 30 second wrap up as well for everyone. Thomas. Yeah, following that Slido question and also the comment that Stefan made, um, uh, there are tools where, where candidates for roles can do assessments online, including also uh, AI tools that look at the psychometrics of candidates. So you can really assess at scale. And that means that recruiters can stop looking at formal titles or formal education that people have followed. And it's becoming less relevant um, uh, as, a, uh, as a recruitment tool. Uh, so, so I think diplomas will become significantly less relevant and skills will become uh, substantially more uh, relevant. And I think that traditional education will continue to exist but needs to adapt and adapt very quickly uh, to this to this environment to meet the needs 
of, of corporations uh, and institutions these days. Okay, thank you. We're close on time. Stefan, just a quick response to a question from Divya. Is there any further information on the planned initiatives under the Year of Skills and Timeline, uh, for example, Cybersecurity Academy, and that you'd be able to share? Uh, we'll, we have a, a website. Uh, obviously, as, as the co-legislators who are finalizing the decision, we, ha we have uh, uh, not put everything on there yet, but now we have, uh, we have uh, met, the, the coordinators met on Friday. So I think the best is to go to just, just Google the European Year for Skills European Commission, and you will see plenty of activities which will be constantly updated um, with the different uh, academies and, and events. So, yeah, okay. I think I'll stop there. That's perfect. Thank you, Stefan. So now we're just going to go 30 seconds each, and we're pretty close in time with six our, uh, panelists to speak. Uh, Thomas, uh, let's start with you. So, your, your key takeaway for today, Thomas. So I understand the complexity of driving a culture change when it comes to learning on a European level. Uh, but I think we really need to start thinking from the perspective of the individual. So what do they need to start developing themselves? And that should be the beginning and the middle of, and the end every time when we discuss uh, this, this topic. Thank you. Rafaela, 30 seconds. Um, very similar to what Thomas just said, we need to put the learner at the center and um, need to look at skills uh, from a more holistic understanding. Yeah. Thank you. Jorgi, 30 seconds. Uh, I would like to just make a short announcement that um, uh, I can agree with uh, basically most of what my uh, co-speaker said and uh, we in the Commission are going to put forward uh, in April a package on digital education and skills composed of two council recommendations, one on digital education and the ecosystem, which by the way, includes also the connectivity and the infrastructure, and the other on the topic of digital skills and how we can improve it in education and training. The commission has limited competences in this field, but I think that if we all take education and digital education as seriously as we take some other things in the digital age, then probably we can progress together. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Anders, 30 seconds. Yeah, no, I think the very, very important things have been said, and I really take on what, what Thomas said about how the uh, the process of, of, of selecting employers will, will change in the future, where, where much more will, will depend on, on your personal background and, and your individual skills rather than your uh, than your formal, uh, formal, formal education. I think that will be a big shift and require a lot of new things from a lot of people. So I really take that as a, as a lesson learned from this discussion. Anders, thank you so much. Sylvie, 30 seconds. Yes, I think we have to continue to promote lifelong uh, training at different levels, which is important, at different level, based from basic to high level. And uh, we didn't speak, of, for example, of the subject of the use, the use of the social networks it's a question, you know, for the politicians, it's a question just because we have the problematic of fake news, for example, and we have to, to work at different levels. Thank you so much. Last word, Stefan. 
Thanks for the honor. Uh, no, I, for me and and I think for all for all of us, uh, the digital transformation, which is essential uh, for democracy, for productivity, uh, the the green transformation, which is essential for this planet to and, and humankind to continue, uh, will depend to a very large um, uh, extent on on how we manage to do this skill transformation. So. It is. It, it's not a side issue. It's the issue, um, and uh, let's all work together in the European Year of Skills, like like in this event, to 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 see what solutions we can find. Thanks, Stefan. Thank you. Thanks also to our team in the Brussels studio: Malta, Zoran, uh, Shifra, and uh, Bonya. Uh, excellent team. You don't see them and the huge effort they make to get all this put together. So thank you for them, and also to Giga Europe for uh, their support. Uh, for the program today. Uh, wherever you are, I wish you a good afternoon. Thanks for taking the time uh, to be with us today. I'm Brian McGuire.